Please pray with me as we begin. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind that blows. Come as the fire that refines. Come as the dew that refreshes. Convict, convert, and consecrate us until we are wholly yours. Amen. Now, I'm not sure quite when I started noticing my place in the world. Do you remember when you noticed where you stood? I think I can trace it in part back to my grandma. My grandma was Irma Watkins, known uh, affectionately and with some fear as Miss Irma. She was the youngest of eight, who was raised in a sharecropping family in Pike County, Alabama, during the Great Depression. And she worked her way into the middle class with a fourth grade education. So perhaps it's in my genes to know my place in the ladder of life. And perhaps it's because if I ever forgot my place, Miss Irma reminded me. And so I ask again, do you remember when you first noticed your place in the world, where you stood. Perhaps it was your family of origin. Perhaps it's our wider culture and society. Perhaps it's just human nature. But from an early age, most people are keenly aware of where they fit and where they don't. It starts in school, I think, for most of us. We all remember that general age when you start to notice where people are sitting in the lunchroom and who's sitting where. And can I sit there? And maybe, maybe I can't. Maybe I don't fit. Now, if this doesn't ring any bells and this doesn't sound like your experience, God bless you. You made it through school <laughs> unharmed. But most people graduate high school with a diploma and a detailed topographical map of their place in the social hierarchies of the world. We know who's in, who's out, and we really know where we fit. It happens in our families, too. Like I said, God bless the middle children in the room. God bless you. <laughs> I'm the baby, so I don't know anything about that. But implicitly or explicitly, we all know our place. And these questions of where do I fit, these are the deepest questions of human nature. These are actually the deep religious questions. Where do I fit? Am I enough? Do I belong? Every religion attempts to answer these questions in some way. What are the steps to enoughness? What do I have to do? What ladder must I climb? to finally fit, to finally be enough. Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ offers a radical answer to these questions. The short version is this, you are enough. You're enough because Jesus says you're enough. And you don't have to do a thing. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The drama that we heard this morning in the Acts of the Apostles, the drama of the early Christian church, is a masterclass 
in this dynamic? Who fits? Who's in? Who's out? We heard that very small passage from the Acts of the Apostles that tells the story of those first disciples and those first Christian communities. Right before today's passage and the reading from last week, Peter was invited to the home of a Roman soldier, a Roman commander, quite literally the enemy of the Jewish people. And he's standing there in this commander's living room, Cornelius' living room, and he preaches a sermon. And as one preacher to another, it's a really good sermon. It's really good. In it, he tells the entire story of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the redemption that he's achieved. And if you remember to last week, he begins the sermon with a radical line, standing in Cornelius' living room. He says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Let that settle for a moment. Remember where he is, who he's talking to. God shows no partiality. And there's the answer. You don't have to climb the ladder. God shows no partiality. You are accepted. So by the end of this sermon in the living room, something even more amazing happens. And that's what we heard today. The text says, while Peter was still speaking, I love that, the preacher gets interrupted by God. Pretty awesome. Might happen, who knows. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. Now, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit falling on folks here in our beloved Episcopal Church. The Holy Spirit is something those other denominations deal with, something those Pentecostals and Baptists talk about. But we, Episcopalians, tend to steer clear, thank you very much got our service in the book, let's just stick to the page, all right? We don't need to be interrupted by anything. Let's hold that thought. So the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles, the outsiders at Cornelius' house, and those good Jewish followers of Jesus that were with Peter were shocked. They were clutching their pearls. You could see it. Oh, the Holy Spirit fell on them. The text in our good Episcopalian language says they were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. They knew their place, and they knew the place of these outsiders. They were just like middle schoolers in the cafeteria, paying close attention to who's in and who's out, who's sitting where. And suddenly, with this little Pentecost, in Cornelius's living room, we see literally played out that God shows no partiality, that the grace of God extends right on past whatever boundary we've constructed in our minds. The Holy Spirit comes to all, even them, whoever them happens to be in any particular moment. And the Holy Spirit enabled those first followers to love one another. 
to love even their former enemies with this abiding love of Jesus. There are plenty of gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I would say the primary gift is love. This self-sacrificial love. This love that extends even to them. Whoever them is. My grandma from Pike County would like that sentence, whoever them is. So here's the miracle for us this morning. You may be thinking, Connor, this is all well and good. So what? Here's the miracle. Here in the nave and watching at home, the Holy Spirit comes to everyone. Even to them. Here's the radical part. Even to us. Even to me. Even to you. Even to us, the good and proper Episcopalians. The Holy Spirit comes to us. And that spirit that bound those first followers together in love is the same spirit that is present to us this morning, here in this place. The prayer that I prayed to start this sermon is a dangerous prayer. We don't often call prayers dangerous. But inviting the Holy Spirit to come, to fall on us, is dangerous. Because it just might happen. It just might happen. I would say it will happen. And to invite this world-changing, death-defying spirit of the living God, this same boundary-crossing spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and empowered the early church is to call on this radical grace of God. Now again, I can hear what you're thinking. Maybe that's my gift of the Spirit. I can hear what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, this is all well and good. Yep, we can call on the Holy Spirit, even us. But not for me, Connor. You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. I'm super smart and rational. I can think this through. I'm good. Thanks anyway. If you're not thinking that, okay. But in case you are, in case you're thinking that's great for those Pentecostals and even our charismatically-minded Anglican brothers and sisters, but what, for whatever reason, the Spirit doesn't apply or appeal to me. So now I've got some good news for you. That may sound like bad news at first, so bear with me. In today's gospel, Jesus said to his followers, You did not choose me, but I chose you. He snuck that one in, didn't he? We don't talk about that very often. You did not choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. And he chose you to bear fruit. The faith that we have been called to is not primarily a rational decision. It's not something we think through and weigh the pros and cons and then come to a decision. As much as I love that hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus, I'm not quite sure that's how it works. 
think the faith is more a longing of the heart to accept the fact that we have been accepted, that we are enough, to accept the fact that this is not our doing, that Jesus has done this on our behalf, and Jesus has chosen us. And so the Holy Spirit falls where it will, where God wills it. And when it does, all heaven breaks loose. And suddenly that abiding love of Jesus takes hold. Yep, even with them, and even with us. Cornelius, sweet Cornelius, was not in at all. It was not his place to receive the Holy Spirit. You can see the good believers sitting in there thinking, this is really sweet of Peter to come preach to this guy. But he's not in. But Jesus chose him, and the Spirit fell. So here we're coming back to that question, so what, Connor? So what for me? I want you to think of your own life. In what ways are you not in? I know we're not, some of us are not in middle school anymore, but we can still live in that world, can't we? It can still feel like that cafeteria. So we're not going to stand up and share, don't worry. I'm not going to have you raise your hands and tell us how you don't fit. Just think about that. My hunch is you already think about it. My hunch is this is one of those things we can't quite get away from. So think of the ways that you're not in, the ways you failed to make the grade, the ways you've been on the outside, the ways you have not been chosen by the world. And I may be the only one in the room, and if so, I'll claim it. But it doesn't take me long to come up with a list of my defects and my shortcomings that, if ever fully known, would probably disqualify me from polite company, or at least from the winner's circle of life. My friend and fellow priest Jacob Smith says that we're all three bad days away from being tabloid news. And he says most of us are on day two. So if we're honest, and again, we're not going to share, don't worry. If we're honest, painfully honest, we are not the A-team. We are not the first string on Team Jesus. And yet, and yet, Jesus says, you did not choose me, I chose you. This Christian life is not about the right people getting their act together for God. It's not about people earning their rightful place on the podium of the spiritual Olympics. The Christian life is this ragtag group of dropouts and failures from acts, and I would venture to say, if we're honest, here today, this band of us who never quite feel like we've done enough to be enough, people like you and me. The Christian life is us. 
being chosen by Jesus to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, namely this radical abiding love. In 12-step recovery, one of the promises of sobriety is that we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. This is the promise of the Christian life. This is what we see in Acts. It's what Jesus is talking about. It's what the whole Christian life is. The Holy Spirit falls where God wills it. And when it does, it transforms people, situations, and communities into the dream and kingdom of God. It brings about that self-sacrificial love that we can't manufacture under our own force of will. So now I have a challenge for you in the week to come. It's simple and dangerous. Almost feel like mission impossible there. Here's your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I want you to pray for the Holy Spirit. Very simple. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would fall upon you. And you can pray in general for the gift of the Holy Spirit. But even more, because remember, Jesus chose you in your specific life and circumstance. I want you to pray for that. Pray for the Holy Spirit in whatever you're going through. Do you have a habit or a pattern of behavior or an addiction that just won't let up? Pray, come Holy Spirit. Are the relationships in your life and family fraught or tense or a shadow of what they once were? Come Holy Spirit. Are you facing an uncertain future? Or an unclear next step? Come, Holy Spirit. Do you feel like an outsider who has never quite been enough? Come, Holy Spirit. Do you have some intractable problem that's been with you your whole life and you've been unable to change it or face it but you know you should. Pray, come Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in his name. Well, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we did not choose you, but you chose us. Grant us the gift of your Spirit, that we may bear fruit in your name. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind that blows. Come as the fire that refines. Come as the dew that refreshes. Convict, convert, and consecrate us 
until we are wholly yours. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.